Romans 11, verse 32. And we can just show that video at the end. It's okay. Thanks, David, for working hard on that. Good job. Romans chapter 11, verse 32. And let's just read that together. God has concluded all in unbelief. Now, I like kind of, I like blanket statements in the Bible like that. Just bottom line thinking. God has concluded everyone. The good guy, the bad guy, the moral person, the immoral person, uh, the priest, the pastor, the sinner, the addict, all his God has concluded all in unbelief. Why so that? And there's a there's a purpose clause there, which means whenever you see the word that, it's telling you for this reason. And it says this that he might have mercy upon all. Isn't that great? That he might mercy. Mercy is when you deserve something, but you don't get it. Like um, when you go to pay your ticket, I remember um, speeding. Yes, I speed. But the sped, spode, I speed, sped. I didn't do well in English in, in, in high school. And I was, and I go to the, I, and, they, and I had, this is my first speeding ticket. And I went to the judge and, um, and I, have a fr- I had a friend who was a state police officer. And he said, just go and say, yes, I was speeding, but I plead the mercy of the court. So I said, I plead the mercy of the court. And the judge looked at me, kind of smiling. He said, this is your first ticket, right? I said, yeah, it is. And he goes, and I was going pretty fast. And he, and he said, okay, you get mercy today, but not next time. But God gives mercy. <laughs> God gives, why does God give mercy? Because sin has been crucified. And if the sin question had never been resolved, and is there kind of an echo in here in this? You guys, you okay with this? Um, because our sin has been crucified on a cross, the sin question is no longer hanging over our heads. You ever have an issue with someone where you go to someone, you know you've offended them, and you know you blew it, and you're just kind of dreading meeting them, and then you meet them, and then, then there is this exchange where you understand that, okay, we're good. And we're good because someone paid the penalty, and there's mercy. And you know you don't deserve mercy, but you get it. I think as a human being, um, we can be... We can work really hard. We can do a lot in this world and we could expect a lot. We can even have an entitlement type of mentality where the church owes me or people owe me or this family owes me or my spouse owes me or my kids owe me or this school or my workplace owes me. But you know something? There's really one thing only that that we deserve and that is the flaming hells of fire. And that is what we truly deserve. But God has been merciful and forgave us of all of our sin. And, you know, how did God do this? And we can't just say that because in Islam, they say, and we were in Iraq in March, and we met a lot of Muslims that were saying this, um, that, okay, God is merciful. God is kind. He's a tolerant God, so he forgives us. And that doesn't work because God is a God of justice. God first has to, there's that sin question, the question of, of sin that has been committed against God that has not been rectified, that has not been paid for. But when Jesus came on the cross, and we know this, I think, when he died on the cross, he was the representation. He took upon himself all of our sins. As a matter of fact, when Jesus Christ came to this earth, he was perfect, righteous, without sin. But just the fact that he was born in our dirt, in our broken society, born in our dysfunctional families, born in an environment of sin, in a broken political place, just the association, just him being around us, 
Just him being touched by lepers, by being touched by sinners in Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, being in contact with people that were just resisted by the religious mafia, the, the religious racketeer, the religious elite. And just because he was with these kinds of people, he was guilty by association. He was guilty by association. He was at the, he could be, it could be said that he was at the wrong place at the wrong time. But really, in the plan of God, he was in the right place at the right time. And so Jesus became guilty of all of our sins, although he had never sinned ever. And because of that, he dies on the cross and our sins are paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. That blood that just never stops flowing. It never stops cleansing us. And how can God do that? Well, the law had to come first. And we know the law, the Ten Commandments. How many of you learned them in Sunday school, right? I learned them. Um, I learned them and then I forgot them like the next day. We had to learn them so we can get our Bible. Like we had to learn all the Ten Commandments and then we had to quote, I think, Psalm, a really long Psalm. I think it was Psalm 1 or something like that. We got our Bible and then as a kid and then, and then Monday I forgot it because I broke, I think, most of the Ten Commandments that following Monday. <laughs> and the law was given, in the book of Galatians it says the law was given so that we might know that we need a Savior, like Pastor Adam was saying. And I think that when you're in a place and you're fighting sin, you're fighting temptation, I think victory always begins with this point. I'm a sinner. I can't change myself. I can't change my situation. I can't change my circumstances. And I need, I plead the blood, Jesus. I plead the mercy of God. I need a savior. Help me, God. Crying out to God is that moment when God begins to intervene in our life, crying out for help. But as long as we are trying in our own strength to change our circumstances, and I think a lot of us in this room, because we're human beings, are just, we're, we're, we're religious people. We're very aware of our sin. We're very aware of other people's sin. And God had to give the, God had to give the law. And this is really the, one of the first major points I want to make this morning, is that God had to give the law with the purpose of not people trying to reach and, and attain. Okay? We're Americans. We, you know, you give, us, you give us a goal, and we're going to go for it. And we're going to surpass it just to prove everybody else is wrong that that you ever have someone tell you, you're just never going to, you're never going to get there. You're never going to get there. You know, you're never going to make it. You just don't have the, you don't have what it takes. And that sometimes really spurs inside of us this, this, this motivation to achieve and acquire, doesn't it? But that doesn't work in the law, the religious law, because there's no way that we can perfectly fulfill the, the Ten Commandments. So was the law given to us so that we could just be lawless and walk around and say, you know what, that's impossible anyway. I'm going to live like I want. No. The law was given to us so that we would understand that we are exceedingly sinful. And I, I don't think that any of us in this room would ever, I don't think there's anyone in this room that would, uh, that would disagree with me that we are broken, fallen people, right? Are we broken and fallen? We are. And that's when I read verse 11, chapter 11, verse 32 of Romans, God has concluded in all unbelief. Thank you, God. Thank you that I'm in unbelief, that I don't have to try to attain something. I'm just, this is my zero plateau. So, am I making sense? The more we try, it says in the book of Galatians, the more we, f we are in debt to God. And that's why salvation is, it can only be a gift. That, that is why your marriage can only be a gift. That is why your, your, your business or your walk with God or your, your every aspect of your life can only be a gift. Because if it's not a gift, it's something that is me involved in it. And if I'm involved in it in any way, it's going to break down. It's going to fall apart, right? <laughs> right? So I love approaching my life like everything in my life is a gift of grace. Me being a pastor is a total gift of grace. It's a total gift of mercy. Me being married to my wife. Me, me having a son, Caleb, is a total gift of God. 
Me being in your midst is totally a gift for me as a pastor. I'm very blessed that I can do this. And there's not a Sunday that I don't come up here and I just thank the Lord that you just, that people want to come out and just be together and listen to the word and that I get to be a part of the work of God. That is so great. The law comes in like a flood. It comes in like an un, unconquerable, uncompromising, undefeatable force that just wipes the whole plate plateau clean of any man that could ever say I'm good. Why does God do that? So that he can just prove that he's some totalitarian, angry, uh, megalomaniac God? No, he does that so that he can have what? Mercy on all. God's motive in your life is not that you would obey the law and that you'd be perfect, but that he could show you mercy and that he could show you grace. There's a story, I'm going to read it to you. And I heard this a long time ago, and it actually happened in Texas. I don't know where and what time it happened, but it's a really cool story. Uh, a, a duck hunter was hunting with his friend in a wide open, barren swath of land in Texas. Far away on the horizon, he noticed a cloud of smoke. Soon he could hear the sound of crackling. A wind came up, and he realized a terrible truth a brush fire was rapidly advancing his way. It was moving so fast that he and his friend could not outrun it. The hunter began to rifle through his pockets, and he emptied all the contents of his knapsack. He soon found what he was looking for, a book of matches. To his friend's amazement, he pulled out a match and struck it. He lit a small fire around the two of them. Soon they were standing in a large circle of blackened earth, waiting for the brush fire to come. They did not have to wait long. They covered their mouths with their handkerchiefs and braced themselves. The fire came near and swept over them but they were completely unhurt. They weren't even touched. Fire could only burn the place where the fire, the fire could not burn the place where the fire had already burned. The law cannot condemn that which has already been condemned. We, we, are, we have already been condemned. We have, been, we have fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the whole gospel is, is that there's nothing that we could do to even change ourselves. We live in a society in America where it says, if you try harder, you're gonna be better. And actually, we, we, we congratulate our kids on that, right? Like my son, like when he's doing a great job, hey, good, good try, good try. But God had to come in and just say, you know, there's no, there's, no, there's, no, there's no way that you could even make it. The point here is that the cross is like a brush fire that burns everything down to the same level. It cannot be escaped or extinguished or circumvented because we have all sinned. But if we stand in that burned out place where the cross is already pledged or has judged all, we will not get hurt. The cross of Christ is that burned over place. There we huddle, hardly believing yet relieved. Christ's death has disarmed the law. And where there was once guilt, now all that remains is gratitude. And what is my life as a Christian? It's a day-by-day life of gratitude, thanksgiving. And I think when a person knows how to say thank you, when a person knows how to say thank you, truly say thank you, then they have truly reciprocated grace in their life. Does that make sense? Are you following me? If I can say thank you to someone for, you know, for the smallest thing. Um, you know, we were in a restaurant for my wife's birthday and um, we were served by someone who didn't speak English and they were probably Spanish speaking. Real timid person, just felt like, you know, you just could kind of, kind of tell like this person you didn't know, you know, they were, they just felt like that they weren't supposed to be there they felt that maybe they should speak English or and their job was just to clean the table 
But we asked them something just to get like more sauce or something. They had this sauce there that was like a mixture of ranch and something spicy and it was just off the charts good. So we asked for more of that. And she came and she brought us like olive oil mixed with like a vinaigrette, you know, something totally different. And, you know, and then she brought the right thing. And I just looked, I just looked at this person and I just thought, you know, like, like God loves this person. God really loves this person. And I was a waiter. I know what it's like to serve people that are hungry. And I, I, like when you're hungry and you get the wrong food, like we just turn into like unbelievers. We just become like atheists. We're just like, what are you doing? Like, did you get trained right? I'm going to get, get you fired, you know? And, and it's like we just turn into these people that are not even like believers anymore. And I just looked at the lady and I said, you know what? Thank you. Thank you for just. And this lady looked at us like just this. You know, and when you have received a lot of grace in your life and you've received a lot of mercy in your life and you've received a lot in your life that you don't deserve, you can say thank you and there's just a lot of power behind that. Just thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, God. Thank you for your mercy. And at that point, this is our life. This is our life. We huddle around the cross because the cross is where it's already been burned. The law has already passed over. The judgment has fallen and everything else in this world is on fire Anything that, is, anything that my flesh tries to do to please God, and get this, this is an important point. Everything that you and I try to do in our energy of our flesh that tries to please God is called hay, wood, hay, and stubble, right? And that's burnable. And like when the, fires of, when the trials of fire come in your life and, you're, and we're tempted to say, you know, I don't deserve this treatment, I don't deserve this, and we understand that what we have received in our, great, in our life is a gift of grace, and we huddle around the cross and we say, with 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 the others that are around, we say, you know something? This is total grace. This is total grace. The second thing I want to say this, this afternoon is something that I quote. And I quote it a lot. I like this a lot. If you want to experience God's grace, all you need is need. All you need is nothing. You ever been in a place where you have nothing? And you have this thing come up and there's a demand in your life, whether financial or relationship or task at work or... Or like, you know, in the ministry, some, many times in ministry, you have this feeling like, do I have what it takes <laughs> to meet these people's needs? And the answer to that is no, I don't. Only God has what it takes to meet these people's needs. But I think that when you are in a place where you're just in a place of just dire need, you ever feel that way? You just feel like, you know what, God, if you don't show up, it's over. I mean, I'm just, we, can start dig, we can start digging my grave, you know. It's, if God, if you don't show up. All we need is need because when there's when we have that and, and that's that's humility, by the way, humility is not it's not personality. Humility is not an emotion. I feel humble today. Oh, wow. I feel humble. Maybe God will do something good to me. I feel humble. I did some good things. I'm a humble person. And, and I told somebody something and I was humble. Humility is is humility is not when you and I are humble. We're not maybe even aware of it because humility is not, when I'm, a humble person is not living in self-awareness. They're just living in God awareness and they're living in the awareness of the person that is in their presence. C.S. Lewis said it, that you, you know that you have spoken to a truly humble person when the whole conversation is really about not that person, but really what's happening in your life. Humility is not aware of itself, but humility is aware of God and it's living in this awareness of God. And that's humility. Humility is when we understand, um, God, that I am, I'm destitute. I'm broken. I'm empty. And Lord, if it is not you, then it is nothing. 
Humility, uh, and when we live in this kind of thing, like look at what I've done or maybe look at all I've suffered, God, however, just wants us to look at him and just to wash in his presence, to wash in his grace, to wash in his... And I love it because Jesus said to one man, uh, to his disciples in the book of Luke, he said that after you have done the will of God and you have done all of those things, we are just yet unprofitable servants. That sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? But I think it kind of puts us in the perspective that, that we are not what we have, like the cross not only crucifies our failures, but it also crucifies our successes. It means that I today standing before you, I'm not in the name of all that we have done in missions and all that we have done in the past and all, you know, all these things. I, we are what we are today by the grace of God. And that is what need is. We understand that I'm in desperate need and we look to God at that moment we can experience the depths of his grace. And Paul was in this place in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians, if you want to look at this verse with me, I want to look at it with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. And I think that sometimes, you know, people get into a place in their life where they just don't feel like they're, they're, they're making the cut. You ever feel that way? I don't know. I mean, this is the Woodlands, this is Magnolia, this is Texas, this is... Very high-achieving people, very high-achieving society. Very, kids, the smartest kids I know in the United States. Like, and I'm not from here originally, so I come here as an outsider. And I've just met some of the most smartest kids. I mean, the marching bands here are unbelievable. We went to a football game, and I've told you the story. And I was just amazed that, like, you know, Friday night football is like you just go, and there's, there's this... You know, it's this huge ordeal with this marching band music. And it's like, ev- like every game is like that. And you just have like athletes. And, and here in the Woodlands, and we've mentioned this before, but in the Woodlands there is this expectation on our kids who have not really fully formed their, their soul structure yet. And they're not able to carry the weight that adults can carry as far as expectation and achievement. And there are things that are expected from our kids that, that at the age of 15, 13, 14, at, you know, and maybe even younger, that just are not humanly possible. And in some way, if our kids, whether they're four years old or if they're 18 years old, if our kids feel in any way as a parent, if, if our kids feel that our relationship with them as a parent is based on some conditional meeting their, their, the, our expectations of them, they may not tell us, but they're going to experience shame. And shame is, is the bottom of just... The, the, the entire emotional scale. Shame is not guilt. Shame is, is when I think there's some, when I think, okay, there's something wrong with me. And we just see, we see, we see kids ending their lives and this, is, this should not be. And so one thing that's really on our heart here in Evergrace is teenagers. Uh, I was just in Ukraine a couple weeks ago and be praying for that country because Russia could be invading. Uh, I had to talk with our pastors about an evacuation plan and how we would get them out if that's the case. So we have a plan. But some of them are like, we're not going anywhere. Like, what are we going to do? These, this is our, these are our people. These are our sheep. And when I was in Ukraine, um, you know, a couple weeks ago, every day it was in the morning, it was a packed house. It was just packed out. Then in the afternoon, after lunch, I'd meet up with the teenagers. We have 25 teenagers there. And they'd just be sitting there waiting. And they're so excited about this summer and our summer camp in Ukraine and possibly our trip to Turkey in the summer. And they were just asking these big questions. You know, I think that teenagers and young people, 
are thinking big thoughts. And I think as adults, sometimes we forget the big thoughts that we were thinking at that age. And I think big thoughts require a big answer, a big God. And teenagers don't need us to be cool or try to act down on their level. They just need us to be adults and to speak to them as an adult that knows God, that loves them. Because as a teenager, I remember as a teen, I was really, as a forming my self-image and my self-esteem as, a, as an individual, it was very important to me what adults in my sphere of, in, of, my sphere of living thought of me. And if I felt, if I felt loved by, my, by the adults in my, in, my, in my sphere, in my family, if my parents loved me, I felt like I could do anything. And I felt like I could also fail and not be cast out. And um, so I just, to the point here is this, is that we have this, we have this um, mindset as Americans, which is we're really what makes our country great. As we, American excellence, it makes it, we, you know, we, you know, we, we abound and we're just doing so much. At present that I know of, there's no other country in the world that gives so much to charity, that gives so much to missions. There's no other country in the world that is, that is and, and no matter what you think of the United States, there's no other country that is, that is being used by God like the United States is. And so this is really, and, and, and that is why I think the devil would really like to attack this country. But I think we have this mindset thinking, it's not okay for me to be weak. I always have to be strong. My son said something to me the other day. We were up in his room, cleaning his room, and he fell down. He stepped on one of his Legos or something, and it really hurt the bottom of his foot. You ever step on a Lego? <laughs> no. Okay, some of you are like, no, I've never done that. Well, you're smart. That's good that you didn't do that. Some of us that have done it have, still have Lego imprints on the bottom of our feet. And he was crying, and, 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 and he goes, Daddy, oh, boys aren't supposed to cry. He was four and a half ago. Who told you that? So you can cry. It's okay. And I think that we have this in our culture that we project at people that it's not okay to be weak. It's not okay to lose. It's not okay to be the underdog. And we think that it's wrong to be weak. And so when we come into Christianity and we discover that we are not as strong as we thought we were, it's like going to a marriage seminar. You ever go to a marriage seminar and you're like, maybe you're a husband and you're like, oh, I don't want to do this because I'm just going to find out how bad of a husband I am, you know? And my wife's going to be, you know, you need to love me more. And I think that sometimes as husbands and as people, we think this way, that, that we're not making the case and that we're not making the cut and we're living in this weakness and in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 and 9, it says this. Paul is saying this, and he's talking about something in his life that he would rather not live with. And he's praying for deliverance. And he says, three times, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Verse 9, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Then he says this, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. There's a principle in physics or in nature where nature abhors the vacuum. Um, according to the philosopher Aristotle, he stated nature abhors a vacuum. He based his conclusion on the observation that nature requires every space to be filled with something, even if that something is colorless, odorless air. There's spaces here that, that, need to be, that need to be filled. And thus is the fallen nature within us that abides by the same rules. That if there's some kind of emptiness inside of us that's created by unrealistic goals or not understanding that we can achieve something without God or that we can try to win his approval outside of his grace, that creates a void 
and it's a soul void and the sin nature inside of us will rush to fill it. We're going to try to fill it with whatever we fill it with. Is it the bar? Is it, is it relationships? Is it, is it going into, into a cave and just withdrawing? But you know something? Pride is to reject and deny need. God resists the proud. And so Luke 15, we see that God is seeking the lost. And I was thinking this morning, um, I was thinking this morning as I was getting ready about the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And here's a woman that was in great need. She had, she had four men in her life in her timeline. And the fifth one, Jesus said, was not her husband. Jesus walked 24 miles to get there to meet this woman. Can you imagine that? Like 24 miles. And that's a long way to walk. Have you ever walked 24 miles? I, I don't think I have. Maybe I have. But it's far. Jesus walks there to meet this woman. And she's not a Jew. So ethnically, there's a problem there. There's an ethnic tension there. She, he shows up. She's at the well. She comes later in the day. Because generally, women go to the well in the morning. She comes later in the day because she's so ashamed that she's going to get judged by the other women because of her lifestyle. And so she's there by herself. And Jesus walks up. And he begins to talk to her. He begins to ask her questions. And he says things like this. If you knew who I was and the gift that I have for you, you would receive it. I have a gift for you. It's a gift of eternal life. And Jesus graciously pointed out this woman's void in her soul. And you know, there are Christians today that go to church. So in church today, in churches all over, all over the world, and they're sitting there and they got voids inside of them because they have not heard Jesus say, I have for you eternal life. I have something that's love, it's grace, it's mercy, it's acceptance, it's fellowship, it's righteousness that you cannot achieve. I want to give it to you, that you're going to be okay, and I love you. And by the way, compassion, the compassion of God is not on those people that do well in their life and they fail. Compassion is on people that just blow it and they're broken. And I think there's some of us, including myself, that we could look at people in a judgmental attitude and say, you know what? I'm not in that situation today because of my decisions. And I decided not to be there and I'm not there today. And that's just pride. I mean, it's true. And it's just, it's true that we're not in places in our life because we did not decide to be there. But I think when we look at someone in that kind of situation, there is this unconscious sense of condescension and just looking down. Jesus, when he spoke to this woman at the well, Jesus never was condescending to people. You ever talk to somebody who's really a righteous person and they're very condescending? And you just feel like, dude, you know, I just, you know, you just feel like you're just not there. Well, Jesus did not talk like that. And Jesus spoke to her and gave her eternal life. And as she walks away, she understands that she's loved. And she goes back into the city and she tells everyone that she's, that is there. And they all come, the whole city comes out and they say, come and see. And she said, come and see the man that told me everything. And you know something, you know, it fills the void in our life. We keep going back to that water, to that well, and filling that bucket up every day because of that soul void. It's filled when we understand that there is that that there is none righteous, that God has concluded all in unbelief, and I'm in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. God's plan in our life is revealed to us, his mercy. Because you know what? That's what changes us. Good works doesn't change us, and good intentions doesn't change us. It puts us on the right track. But when we look at the grace of God and we look at his goodness and we look at all the great things that God has done in our life, despite our unbelief, that changes us. It makes us different. It's like, I don't know, it just, it just wrecks us. It's like, I don't deserve this. Why are you doing this? And, and I'll just close with a story. We were in a train in Ukraine 
maybe I told this story, I don't know, but, and we were in a train, I was with some of our Ukrainian pastors and we were on the way going somewhere. And in these trains, there are these, um, they have these overnight sleeper cars. And in one of the, you know, and these cars have like these, there's a hallway on one side of the car and, and there are these doors that go into like these mini type of mini bedrooms or mini small rooms and there's four beds. And it's kind of like maybe eight feet by eight feet and it's real small. And so there are these beds there. And these beds there are, like, you don't know who's going to be there. You're reserving a place, and you have no idea who's going to be there. So it was me and two other guys, and there was this one bed. So we're going in there. And they don't put girls with guys. They just keep the girls separate with the girls. And so we're, we're, we're getting, into our, bed, we're getting into, our, into our room on the train. And he, this guy walks in. And he's Middle Eastern. He's from Middle East. And he looks at us, and he just rolls his eyes. And he walks out. And he walks down to the conductor and he says to him in Russian, he goes, I can't stay with these guys. He's, I just can't stay with, he thought they were all Americans because we're all speaking English and he was very angry. And so the conductor said, there's nothing I can do. That's where you gotta be. So like he was just yelling at the conductor and I heard what was going on and I said to the guys, one of them was Igor, and I said, guys, I said, let's do this. Because what they do is on the bed, there is like these, there's like a plastic bag with the sheets and the pillowcase and everything like that. And what you got to do is before you go to sleep, you got to make your little bed there on this bench type of thing. So what I did was we made his bed for him. We made his whole bed and we ordered some tea and some snacks and we had it ready for him. So when he came back, he saw his bed was made and he saw that we had ordered tea for him and some snacks. And he looked at us and he goes, no. <laughs> he goes, no, you can't do that. He was just so angry because that we were like being kind to him. You know, we were just... You know, like we, we thought this could either be a great night, you know, with him or this could be horrible. You could just be like yelling at us at all, all night. And so when we did this like act of kindness to him, you know, and, and with God's heart, like he just he couldn't handle the grace. He couldn't handle the kindness. And he just sat down like he was dilapidated, like he gave up. And he goes, he goes, I'm from Syria and I'm so broken. I've seen you would not believe what I've seen. I've seen people dying in front of me. My family has died. I'm living here in Ukraine. Um, I'm just angry at any Westerners. And we got a chance to share the gospel with him. And, and I don't know where he is today, but I saw grace and mercy break somebody's anger. I saw it in, in like as Pastor, Pastor Adam said, it teaches us. It teaches us. It just shows us something. It, it gives us a life lesson that we could never, ever, that we could never, ever um, deny. Amen. So let's just bow our heads for a moment. And I'm going to have Pastor Adam close us in prayer as we um, end with a song.